Welcome to Behind the Band, a podcast where we're all about helping you grow as an artist. We do that by talking with other really great artists and people from the industry. Hey, my name is Dave Ryan Olson. If we haven't met, I run Evergreen Records. We are a production company that wants to help you grow even outside the studio. So that's why we do things like this podcast. Today, we have a guy named Andy Frasco who has a really cool project called Andy Frasco in the UN. Also a really awesome podcast that's about life and mental health, and he'll get into that, but real fun guy to talk to. He is a huge, huge personality, and bless him for being very, very open with us today. So I'm just going to say today we have the explicit tag for a reason, so just prepare yourself for that. But super glad that we're having this conversation today. Real quick before we jump into that, want to just say, if you are looking for community or a place to discuss this episode, get some behind the scenes info about this podcast in general, would love for you to join our Evergreen Records Facebook community. Just go to evergreenrecords.com slash community to sign up for that. But now let's just go ahead and jump into the conversation today with Andy Frasco. Well, Andy Frasco, how are you doing, man? Well, I'm good, bud. Just hanging out in Denver, enjoying... <laughs> It's 70 degrees today, actually. It's pretty nice. What? I know. It's crazy. It was like cold as fuck last week and it was snowing. Like this this weather is so ADD. This is why I kind this is why I kinda like Denver. Not kinda. I, this is why I kinda like Denver. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, it's always sunshine, you know, even through a shitty week. And you know, now it's 70 and it's it's time to rock. So I'm pumped. Yeah. Well, dude, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Would just love to get to know you real quick. Why don't you go ahead and just share your story? Well, I've been in the music industry since I was, shit, 13 years old. I used to, uh, I faked my age to work at a record label, drive through records like pop punk. You know, I was, I was following the Warp Tour and stuff. I'm like, God, I want to be, I want to be part of this. Like, it's a fucking circus, you know? And like, it was like the first time in my life, because I was always an athlete or, or a wannabe athlete. <laughs> you know, I'm not that fucking good at anything like that. But like, I, you know, I'm confident in myself. So I probably thought I was better than I actually was. And uh, and I and then I saw this community, the music industry. I'm like, damn, everyone's smiling. Everyone's just getting wild. And, you know, I, at the time, I thought they were just on um, Red Bulls and... <laughs> didn't realize it was alcohol and cocaine but <laughs> i was like yeah this is awesome i didn't i wasn't taking drugs back then yeah i mean and then so i uh, i applied to, for an internship at one of my favorite record labels drive through records and i was working in the mailroom like folding t-shirts and stuff and then like you know i think that was eighth grade 13 yeah, yeah. eighth grade going to ninth i got the internship and a year in or two years in a year and a half in i was sophomore i'm like i got to I gotta learn something. I'm not just I think I'm more qualified than just folding t shirts to, you know, a random newfound glory fan, you know. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I basically um went into the owner of the label's office, Richard Rains, and you know, he's my one of my biggest mentors growing up. Just he understood how to market a band and stuff. And he gave me a shot. He gave me like his bands that he just signed. So I was like booking their bands at like the local club in the valley where I, I grew up in los angeles it called the cold bowl cafe for the first two years and we would just pack out these shows get 300 400 kids put like seven bands on a bill three local bands and like three touring bands and we just made these these bands look bigger than they were <laughs> so they could get publicists and get uh get you know the whole fucking the smoke and mirrors of the music industry and i learned that young in my life where i'm like damn this reminds me a lot like my dad 
my dad is in commercial real estate and how, how they market a building. So I'm like, and I always used to love just like, I love the art of a, of a deal. Like, you know, you know, I'm not like Donald Trump style, but like, <laughs> it's a little bit of a loaded phrase, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's so weird. Like I love, I used to like make fake contracts to myself when I was like seven, eight years old. And like, <laughs> you know, just like write contracts and like sign my signature on everything. And just like, I always wanted to be older than I was, I guess. And, um, I took that uh, philosophy that I would just stay in my dad's office and just like listen to him make deals. And like, my dad's a real honest guy and to like, um, figure out like, yeah, he's not really bullshitting. He's just polishing up a turd, you know, <laughs> and trying to sell it, you know, as in a building, there's so many buildings in LA commercial real estate. So I took that. And from there I, I built my own touring agency. So I started booking these pop punk bands around the country and um, my mom let me go on tour when I was 16. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> then I experienced the tour life and like living in a, we had an RV and like the guitar player's brother had to drive us because we're all fucking 17, 16. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know what to do. I was cold calling venues and shit for this band. And I was like, I cold called so many venues and we finally got like 20 dates and maybe like 18 of them, no one fucking showed up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it was the best experience of my life. You know, I was going through New Orleans, drinking at bars and just like, I just found all these photos from that first tour. And it was so funny. I'm like taking selfies with the alcohol. And like, <laughs> I was just like, damn, I was fucking young. And I lost my Virginia on that tour. This girl wanted to have sex with a Jewish dude. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, I'm down. I was in Texas. It was like some Houston, Texas girl. I'm like, let's go. Lost my virginity. <laughs> I was like, this is the best time of my life. Why don't, why am I on the other side of this? Why am I, I don't want to sit in an office while all these bands are having fucking fun. So I just started in 18 or 19. I started playing piano and I just started booking myself. And from there I, um, I've been doing 250 shows a year for the last 13 years where the first six years I was booking myself until my first agent, Brad Raffinod, he was from Michigan. And I, I'm like, damn, I'm getting a booking agent now. I was like, it was like tight. Even though people, I was just playing in the wrong markets, you know, I had to start fucking over. <laughs> so he put us in Philly and then he put us in like, you know, all the major cities. Cause that's what you do. That's what you have to do. You can't just playing Manhattan, Kansas every fucking month. So it was like, <laughs> from there, I started building my career and then I started getting taken seriously. And then, then I fell in love with music again when I stopped doing cocaine and having one night stands. And uh, that was like six. I mean, I still kind of have one night stands, but <laughs> I don't as much, you know, it's like, you just gotta be honest with people and like, yeah, I'm, I'm a vagabond. I, I live on the road and I'm only in the town normally one to two days a year. So it was interesting to me. So from there, I just started building my career and now I'm still doing 250 shows a year and we're, you know, selling out venues like a thousand people plus now. And like, it took longer than I thought it'd take, but at least it, we, you know, I didn't give up. If I would have given up, I would have fucking regretted it. Yeah. But it sounds like from an early age, you were, you were pretty industrious. I mean, it's not normal for kids to write contracts with themselves. And <laughs> yeah, man. I thought my idols was like David Geffen, fucking Jerry Maguire. <laughs> I liked, uh, I liked hook, you know, when Robin Williams was the old, 
older and he's just making deals and just like, and I realize it's probably, you know, as I get older now and I'm becoming those people, not David Geffen, I don't have like billions of dollars, but like the mindset of it. <laughs> and I'm becoming these people, like I'm becoming their age when I was inspired by them and I'm a workaholic now. I'm like, fuck. I should have just played on the fucking play place <laughs> when I was a kid instead of like going into my English teacher's class to, you know, take a 11 o'clock phone meeting because nutrition was at 11 or lunchtime was at 1245. So I'm like, I'm super busy. I only could take calls. <laughs> I was like in fucking school in high school. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You said it was interesting growing up, seeing your dad try to sell, you know, the same generic building all across LA as unique. And you kind of translated that to some of your experiences early on in the industry. What were some of the things you picked up during that? Um, I picked up how to market something and how to like put a product into the public and get views, you know, and get clicked on it. So it was like, you know, and social media helped me too. It was like, when I was in what maybe middle school it was Live Journal. You remember Live Journal? Yeah. You used to talk about your feelings and shit, and like put lyrics about like My Chemical Romance and puberty and shit. <laughs> I'm like, I'm getting, I'm not getting traction through this. Maybe because I'm just being too sensitive, or maybe everyone's being sensitive, and that's the whole platform, and I can't stand out. So how can I like kind of like polish it up and make it so I could, you know? get these bigger labels and bigger people interested in what this punk ass 15 year old kid was doing. So I just like learned about how he's, how he makes a presentation through a doc and like through like how he takes the minorest things. Like how do you take photos of a piece of shit building that makes it look dope? You know, cause once you get to the client, you could sell them. I mean, my dad was always really good about being honest, being genuine you know, he wouldn't take a building if it was, if he didn't believe that he could sell it. So I took that philosophy with bands. Like I don't, I'm not going to sign any bands that I don't love. I'm not going to do any weird marketing with a band that I'm not going to click on the link or, you know, if I don't think it's tight, I'm not going to put it out. So from there, just so you know, quality over quantity. And if you had a piece of shit show, like there were some shows that it was like, oh yeah, no one's going to show up to this. How can I make this tight? You know, and you, then you throw like the fucking, uh, you're like, okay, how do I get this band, this label to be interested and keep on working with me? So I started like putting like local bands, all my friends' bands who I knew they could draw 50 to a hundred people a night and just put them on the early show because they're pumped that they might have a chance that a record label was going to look at them. So from there, we started building this, like building a community. Like, all right, we're always going to put at least a couple touring bands on there and we're going to put local bands on there. And we're going to start building a community in LA because the music scene was just such bullshit at the time. And it's kind of still is. Everyone's like just chasing the rabbit's tail and uh, trying to get signed to fucking Geffen and whatever. And um, I wanted to have an outlet for the kids in the Valley who work hard because like, you know, Valley kids in LA, we, we work hard. Like the locals who go there are the ones who run all the shit in the movies. Like if it's the editors and the video guys and the, you know, the, the engineers, those, all those cats grew up in LA. So I wanted to make sure that we weren't getting stepped on when all the reality television shows started coming to fucking LA and all these people with these big dreams. I wanted LA to have this local 
vibe. So I just started building it in the valley and moved on, moved into Hollywood and yeah, then moved on to the nation, showing them that, you know, LA isn't just a bunch of pretentious people trying to <laughs> trying to fake it to make it. well, this story sounds like I'm faking it to make it, but <laughs> but you know, we we're hard workers and you know, it's like when there's when you live in a town that has 20 million people, maybe that's a point too. You know, like there's so many people, so many people doing the same fucking thing that the only way to stand out is is either you do the work or um you just get really good at the work. Yeah. I'm glad that you said there was too much of trying to get signed to the Geffens and the Capitals and, and, and whatever in L.A. or if you're a band just anywhere thinking that, you know, that's the goal. What can you share about what you did trying to almost create like a local scene within L.A. or even just in, you know, North L.A. or, or whatever? I assume when you say the Valley, you mean, you know, burbank Yeah, West Hills, Calabasas, Topanga Canyon. Yeah. So what was the question? Sorry, I'm... <laughs> early <laughs> no dude why did we schedule this <laughs> shit's fucking up of coffee i'm like shaking i'm constipated it's a whole fucking thing <laughs> no but you said la at the time was kind of a a whole mess of everyone trying to get signs you know get, get the big sign thing get discovered by kanye or whatever it is but yet you tried to just say well let's let's create a cool scene and so that we can do music and play shows and everything what was that process like? I mean, it was it was fun. I mean, like I'd look forward to Fridays and Saturdays and like I made the most money I ever made. I was making like a thousand a show, two thousand bucks a show. I'm a fucking kid. Just like holding a bunch of cash. I feel like I'm a drug dealer. <laughs> I'm like, this is fucking awesome. Like and like we were having fun. It wasn't like work that it wasn't work that was like, fuck, I gotta go to my job. I'm like, I'm going to promote a show. It taught me how to be a social and taught me how to now, as I think about it, I'm like, it probably taught me how to be a front man, like going to every city, waiting till everyone, the bell rang and passing out flyers and getting introduced to the local bands. Who's the big band in F fucking Granada Hills High School or just, you know, just like, <laughs> and then we just built this network and we built this community. The company I started was called Lifeline Promotions. And from that, we would get bands signed. Like we had this band called Neural that got signed to, um, I think. Atlantic or Geffen and then had a bunch of bands like LAO got signed and like the Scuba Kids became what's that band called? Fuck the Mowgli's. You remember the Mowgli's San Francisco? Oh yeah. They're great. Yeah, man. They're a ska band. We used to book them on ska night on Thursdays. <laughs> it's like the same thing. It's like if you give someone the opportunity, like this school rock thing or like this playground where you could play music, like you give a playground to play baseball or basketball we're going to start developing actual musicians you know at such a, a younger age so that's what we we're building and we would go do these song sessions like i was really inspired by brand new and um taking back sunday and like that whole like long island like fucking poetry club all these cats that were signed to like Epitaph, Vagrant, Drive Through, all the East Coast bands had this like community of like they fucking write poetry and like fucking just like play with each other's bands in like fucking Atlantic City. And like the West Coast like is so spread out, you can't play every two hours. You know, you got to play it. The next gig is what? San Francisco, seven hours away. San Diego didn't have a fucking music scene. You go to Arizona, not really have had a music scene, maybe Tempe or something, but like. <laughs> 
not like the East Coast where it's like two hours, Philly, you're going to fucking Scranton, you're going to like <laughs> just every fucking town. So it was like, all right, we got to build a community in LA and we're going to build it and we're going to try to build something where when, you know, we're so close to the industry and so close to where the actual deals are going to happen, they're bound to look at us. Yeah. But how, how did you actually do that? How did you build that community and network? Man, like I said, I was going to fucking community colleges. I was going to high schools. I was going to record labels and, and promoters like say like, all right, there's a, everyone had their niche. Like my niche was pop punk, ska, happy. And then like folk, like sad boy folk. I love that shit. That's my shit. Like Damien Rice, I was fucking all into that. <laughs> so I'd have all these different nights and then we'd have one of the promoters who only did metal. And we had one of the promoters who kind of did DJing. So we all had our own space and we'd be like, all right, I'm going to do a ska night on a Thursday. All right. They're like, all right, cool. I'll do my hardcore night. It doesn't affect. So it was like basically promoters working together to not compete with each other so we could build a community. Because if we have like three shows, all fucking ska, who's going to show up? <laughs> so, so we kind of had to like trust each other that we're not going to fuck each other. And we're going to build a community in LA that that is um, inspiring for the locals to do something. Instead of like, oh man, I'm going to be in a band just to get a fucking two song demo deal. And then they're going to fucking drop me. And then I my insecurity as a musician is going to be, you know, so we wanted to build a safe space for people to create and um, to focus on, you know, the arts writing. And, you know, we forget that like all this marketing and stuff doesn't mean shit unless you write good songs. So, and I learned that later in life. I didn't learn, I was, I um, didn't have a band that wanted to live on the road with me for 10 and a half months in LA. So, I just like Craigslist musicians in every city and basically Chuck buried it because I knew I didn't have any pull in each city. So I would just like hire local musicians to back me up so I could at least have 10 people of their fucking friends or girlfriends or wives to fuck at least show up. <laughs> start this, you know, revolution, I guess. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I ask how you did that because I know so many musicians are, are feeling like they're in a little bit of the same spot. They feel like maybe they're disconnected from their local scene or they feel like their local scene is a little disappointing and they want to grow something, but they're not quite sure how to, you know, really get started. So maybe what advice would you have for someone who's looking to create or bolster a scene? I think start regionally. Like I said, like California is very hard to start regionally unless you want to go to, but like you could go to different pockets and stuff like Burbank or Silver Lake or Pomona. But like, I think you should just start branching out. Once you feel like your music is good, stop playing in your local town every week. Play there once every two months, once every three months and move it to San Francisco, Vegas. Like I remember we almost got a residency at the Palms Hotel for like three years a three-year residency. I'm thankful they said I was too wild to be on that show because I would have took the money. <laughs> I was so money hungry when I was a kid. So it's like, you got to stop thinking like you're going to get rich off this thing and just go regionally and try to find the best promoter in each of these regional towns. Cause there's got to be one venue. You know, every town has at least one fucking venue that, you know, all the kids go to. If it's if you're under 21, there's always an one all age venue or a fucking coffee shop that's tight or you live near college towns. There's got to be that fucking Tuesday $2, you call it, that 
it packs out that you could play for. It's just you kind of just have to do some research and seeing what venue is cool or what venue that normally doesn't do music and try to convince them that the venue's packed down, convince them we'll entertain your crowd for three hours. Just give us a shot. And that's what basically I did for six years is like find these really popular bars that didn't have music or like I, I did the Sundance Film Festival. I did a lot of movie festivals because I knew there wasn't a lot of competition. There was only maybe three or four bands that played these festivals. And I would just play all these like fucking chili competitions. And I just said yes to everything, like I said in the beginning. And just because you're playing in Dekipsie fucking Nebraska or whatever, don't be ashamed of it. Make it the best show you could possibly do. And you have 300 people. Also, now you have 300, 500 people showing up. Now you're playing the big fair at in Nebraska. And then you from there, now you're getting the booking agents who are going to put you on the actual festival, Summerfest. Or, you know, so don't be afraid to start small and go to these regional buttfuck towns. <laughs> I loved it. It taught me what music was. It taught me that we're all the fucking same. It doesn't matter if you live in New York City, Los Angeles. Everyone has their needs and their wants and their passions. And why not go and give the people who in those B and C markets, as they say in the industry, some fucking entertainment, you know, no need to play in Philly and shit <laughs> until you get an agent that could actually get you a real show in Philly. Cause you're going to show up in Philly, the show you booked and no one fucking is going to be there. <laughs> and you're paying for parking and like <laughs> expensive ass hotels. I'm like, fuck, I'm going back to Kearney, Nebraska where I know I could find a parking spot right next in front of the venue. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of transitioned from, you know, doing the management kind of booking hustle thing to being an artist at a certain point. So tell me more about that kind of transition. Well, you know, it's like growing up in LA, that's what you thought the industry was. It's just like dudes with like fucking straight hair, you know, in front of their face and like writing songs with the, the producer, the cookie cutter producer who produced every single band they got signed by one label. You know, it's like this idea that you're just a factory worker or you're a piece, you're like a, you're like a little screw that they make the same fucking screw every day. That's your, that's your job. It was heartbreaking. Cause I, I was dropped by like five labels and I was dropped by like two booking agencies and three managers. Cause all, all I was worried about, all I was focused on was, doing drugs, having a good time wherever I was and figuring out a way just to market something that I didn't have a vision or a sound yet. So it was like, I was kind of just like walking in circles. You know, we could definitely entertain a bunch of drunks, but are they going to remember that song or that your band name tomorrow until you have an actual sound? So I had to get off all the blow and get off all the party. And I mean, I still drink like a motherfucker, but... <laughs> get off all the partying and actually be a musician. You know, it's like, I'm in the music industry. I'm not in the business industry. I had to get serious, you know, and not just do it because I'm addicted to stimulation and I'm addicted to partying. I had to be addicted to writing songs. And that I think that happened when I put out Change of Pace, my last record with Dave Schools from Widespread Panic, or that record came out three and third record from now? Oh, fuck. I can't even remember more. But that was the record that really cleaned me up. And then I started focusing on lyrics and getting into mental health and getting into how we can um, sustain this fucking life. Because I knew I was going to die 
you know, if I kept it going like this. So I started focusing into the music and not the, the lifestyle. Well, so like for a lot of people, it seems like the music and the lifestyle kind of go hand in hand because like, you know, that's why, you know, you become a musician instead of working as a, as a CPA or whatever <laughs> is because you want to have fun all the time and you want to be able to, you know, let loose. I thought that too, until I started seeing bands who were graduated from like Berkeley school of music and conservatory who were fucking like kind of nerdy and like, and didn't really, they don't drink. And I'm like, nah, we come in, my band comes in cause we're all alcoholics coming from like bad and from hell <laughs> and opening for like, you know, a snarky puppy or a fucking lettuce and um, they don't party. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> we actually should take this a little more seriously than, you know, waking up and taking ecstasy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, can you share a little bit about what that was like, kind of finding this new balance between, obviously you don't want to take it so seriously that you're not having fun, but like you also want to not just be on blow constantly, right? Yeah, I think the revelation was like, I, um, we were touring Europe for like seven, eight years too. And I was like Google translating just like in different languages to get shows in like Amsterdam and Germany and fucking Italy. And we finally got, we were getting bigger in Europe than we were in America. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And then we were partying and all of a sudden like we got on the front page of the newspaper in Bomberg, Germany. And it said, all it said was, Mr. Human Cocaine <laughs> coming to Bomberg, Germany. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> they think I'm just this huge cokehead who's coming into their town to take all their drugs and shit. So I was walking around the streets of Bomber and like, oh, Mr. Human Cocaine, Mr. Human Cocaine, you're wild, you're wild, man. <laughs> they're like, offer me Coke. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll take some Coke. And I snorted three lines of meth and it for two days. I was up for fucking two days. And um, I was like, my mindset was like, I just got to come. I just have to come and I will go to bed because I had a show in like uh, Nuremberg the next day. We're playing at Hitler's um, where he did the big speech. We were playing for like 15,000 people. I was like, so I like was like trying to jack off in the, the hotel lobby, not even horny. And I look myself in the mirror. I'm sweating. I'm in the hotel lobby because that's all I could find was internet there. I'm like, you got to fucking stop this. You're going to die, you know? And I've, I haven't touched Coke since. I started focusing on writing songs and, you know, it was just like everything happened at this perfect timing. Like, I got introduced to Dave Schools, who was sober off of, you know, whatever he was on, and um, sat me down. Everyone just like, when you're ready to listen to the universe, I feel like the universe finally, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you, you know? And since that, I've been taking my music and my, my words, you know, way more seriously. <laughs> just told you about me beating off in a hotel lobby. Sorry about that, man. <laughs> told you it's too early for a podcast, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so tell me more about your musical project andy frasco in the un how did that really come to be was that always kind of your vision musically i know you mentioned there was you know a kind of a time where you weren't fully developed in your sound and what you were trying to do just walk us through how that musical project got started i was craigslisting musicians in every city and i would basically ask them like if i really liked them as a musician i'd be like hey I'm leaving tomorrow. You want to come? Quit your job. And every one of my band members who was in my band now did that. <laughs> so Sean, I met Sean in Springfield, Missouri. He quit his shit, went on the road with me. Ernie Chang, I met him at a fucking guitar store in LA. He quit his shit, went on the road with me. It's like, 
you got to say yes to things. And um, from there, and then we had a band. We had like half our band was from the Netherlands. Like I met these kids. They were like 17. <laughs> and we were doing the the Paris Film Festival. And they're like, oh, the promoter's like, we got these kids, man. These Dutch kids are super just, you know, computers. You know, they're so genius. I'm like, I don't believe it. These kids are fucking 16. And they were fucking good. <laughs> And it was game on. And then when they turned 18, I I, I stole them from their little village in uh, Slavic ne- Netherlands. And they went on the road for me for like three or four years until they, they got deported. Because I fucked up. I didn't know uh, <laughs> you had to like really be on that visa. You know, it's like you're not supposed to stay in town without like a work visa. <laughs> I, didn't re- I didn't know that when I was a kid. We were just having fun. So that's why we made it the UN because we had all these people from Germany, from Spain, from Netherlands, from Missouri, from LA. And we just like basically said, all right, let's all write music together and let's call it the UN, you know, like, cause we're not just like grew up in our hometown. We're best friends. Like we met on the road. So let's just call it something that's meaningful to the world. You know, United Nations. Yeah. Well, you guys have a very, very unique sound and unique live experience. I, I've been thankful to, to witness it when you're on the rock boat a couple of years ago. And I was just, I stopped in and, <laughs> and saw you guys playing. I was like, what the crap is happening here? Oh yeah, we, they never booked us again. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, nope, we're good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when, when you talk about you're doing music just for fun, you know, and you want to have a good time. I mean, like that makes sense. But one of the things that, you know, you do is I don't think any set that I saw on the rock boat, you stayed on the stage. No, so, no, no. like, yeah, I'm worried. I'm about to go on tour again. You know, it's, it's the COVID years. <laughs> it's like a uh, AC after COVID. I'm going to see, if I'm going to be able to fucking jump in the crowd and crowd surf anymore. I don't think I can. <laughs> but, but, but share a little bit about how you developed this kind of live experience, man. Vans Warp Tour, <laughs> watching fucking Taking Back Sunday, Adam Lazaro jump on the fuck, like climbing the fucking rafters or like choking himself with the fucking, the microphone cord and like <laughs> fake beating off and shit. I'm like, I was 13 years old. I'm like, what the fuck? This guy's having more fun than all of us. Or like watching Real Big Fish and all the horn players are crowd surfing and fucking just, just like power, you know? I want to be entertained through growing up in LA. You just see so many different fucking acts and cookie cutter acts. I'm like, nope, we are going to be in your face. We're going to bring back that old school punk, you know, lag wagon, no effects. But like, I knew that I couldn't be a screamer. I'd be like getting lymph nodes and my career probably wouldn't have lasted if I, so I'm like, we're going to do happy music, but we're going to be punk rock as fuck. And we're going to do what all these guys inspired us uh, clash and fucking rx bandits and uh these guys who brought so much energy and like really meant what their words were and like i felt like their songs and their lyrics were just as what they emulated on stage you know this like we're in this together and we're gonna have a good time together so i've always taken that mind state with every live show i do now Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just say the experience is pretty unforgettable seeing you guys play live. Oh, thanks, man. You've hit your mark on that. <laughs> now I got to figure out how to write a fucking record. <laughs> 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 then I'll be popping. You know, it's like, that's the only thing stepping me. 
But, you know, I really love my music and um, I really love, uh, like right now I'm going through kind of a writer's spell because I'm doing like a fucking talk show and a podcast and and um, I'm just overthinking music because now there's pressure because you get popular and now there's this pressure that you got to keep outdoing yourself. That's the hardest part about the music industry. It's the idea of staying relevant through outbeating the piece of work you did last year. It's just like not healthy. <laughs> yeah, so how do, you, how do you deal with that? I take time. I just stay present. I mean, I'm so not present a lot of the times because I'm thinking about you know every fucking project I have that when I write music, that's when I'm most present. So I just have to like focus in and die. there's fucking ants in my fucking house. It's crazy. <laughs> Talking about being present, I'm looking at fucking ants. But uh, yeah, it's just like dialing in, thinking about what you want to talk about and how you're going to approach it through your through a piece of work. And it, it overwhelms me. Like right now I'm stressed out. Like I keep looking, I turn on my piano and then um, then walk away and uh, start working on a, the podcast or something. Or then I go back to the piano, write a chorus. Then I overthink it. Like, oh no, it sounds like a song I wrote three years ago. It's like, you just got to get out of your head and write music for you and uh, stop writing music for other people because you could smell bullshit. You know, it's like when you chase the rabbit's tail and try to write songs for the scene. Oh, this uh, electric pop thing is in right now. Let's write a song like that. The time you fucking put out the record, the, the, it's done. The, the, it's, they're on to a new fucking thing. So we just always just got, I just have to be myself and not think about making art for other people and think about making art for myself. Yeah, which is easier said than done. Oh, dude, it's horrible. <laughs> Especially with like, you know, seeing all your friends get famous and shit and like, you're kind of like, damn it. You know, it's like this competition. Like, you don't want to feel like music is a competition, but at the end of the day, I mean, we're all insecure as fuck. That's why we're artists. And, uh, <laughs> you know, of course, if we're going to get intimidated when one of your homies blows up and you feel like you're giving it 120%, you got to stop judging our lives through other people's time. And I think if we just do that and say, you know, I'm on this path, this is how I'm going to write and this is how I'm going to create art and just stay in a tunnel vision that way, and don't let these other things get you down, then I think we can make the best art we can, you know, individually. Well, there's like a certain pressure that comes when music kind of goes from a thing you love and an outlet, and then, you know, at a certain point, it feels like, in some ways, it, it's almost inevitable for it to feel a little bit like a job. Yeah, anything is, once you start making money in it. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And you feel like, you know, all the things you talk about, like you feel like you have to outdo yourself and you feel like, you know, you have to compete with, you know, the other people out in the market and, and you know, all that. And so it, it, it's tough to, to not get distracted and put too much pressure on yourself. Yeah. I mean, in anything in life, like it's like, this is what scares, I've never had a relationship before because of this idea <laughs> of, you know, thinking of other people, you know, and taking the step back to actually do the work and actually work on yourself and actually give that other thing attention, you know? And I, I think, you know, I take that same philosophy with all the different things. I got to give attention to all these things I'm doing, you know, making comedy, making podcasts and trying to talk mental health with people who are, who've been addicted for years. And then, you know, the thing that started this whole thing, music and writing songs and, trying to be honest so it's like i just think you just have to like 
dedicate the time. My friends have been telling me they've been like putting themselves on a timer, <laughs> you know, like you're going to write for 25 minutes, even if it sucks, you're going to put, you put the timer on and just, that is your time to do it. I got to, maybe I'll start doing that just to kind of like get the brain, like back in it. You know, it's like, I'm about to go on tour for like four and a half months starting in June. And I'm like, God, I've taken a year off. I forgot, you know, I forgot that I'm a musician and I forgot that, uh, this is what I do. So it's like, this is the only thing bad about taking a year off. You know, I love the idea that I could, um, you know, take a, I was getting burnt out, you know, 13 years in living in hotels for 10 and a half months a year and drinking shitty whiskey till 5am and having a bus call at nine. I mean, it kills you. And it, this I'm, I'm alive now. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> The one thing about the quarantine is like, yeah, it forced me to, at least like if I'm going to black out, I'm going to black out in my living room <laughs> and then walk up to my bed, you know what I'm saying? And sleep it off. So it's just uh, trying to just remember to yourself that you're a good songwriter, that you have all this stuff too, all these other dreams that you're getting good at or maybe, or maybe you're shitty at it, but don't forget it's like people forget who they are when they're kids. Like, do you remember who you were as a kid? Kind of, yeah. Like the things that made you so happy? I mean, yeah, it's hard to, you know, remember a lot of the specifics. I mean, like you, you remember like certain things, but you don't remember like, you know, the little magic of like why something made you happy, I think. Or you remember when you get so happy when you just went to the swings and just like sway? <laughs> you know, or like you ate that, fuck you, like mom let you have cookie dough ice cream today because you did good in school or whatever, like that shit. It's like we overthink happiness now. The only thing that's different than what it was at six and 33 is ignorance, you know? I'm less ignorant <laughs> or, you know, I'm less, um, maybe that's a thing. Maybe we just, you absorb so much that you start overthinking what makes you happy because there's too much going on or like your life, you start seeing what death is and seeing what failure is and seeing, you know, if we take all those ideas out of the equation, I mean, we're going to be jolly fucking people. <laughs> right. You stop worrying about the success and you start, you know, when you're 14 and playing music, you know, it's just, you're doing it because you, you like making noise. <laughs> yeah. You like making noise. You like promoting. You like, I remember in high school, like they, they'd let me, uh, book the talent shows to like raise money for like fucking drama, like to go to Scotland or whatever, or like do the fringe festival. And like, I would be so proud of myself because like, yeah, we brought 500 people and brought like comedians. And like, I remember I got the Pillsbury Doughboy voice guy to be the voice, to be the host. <laughs> then like, I'm like, fuck yeah, this is a fucking event guys. And, um, yeah, so one thing, you know, it's like we got to take a step back. We got to zoom out. I think when we start zooming in too much and overthinking why we did music in the first place, you know, we weren't overthinking it when we're in our fucking garages at our parents' house playing too loud. Like all we're thinking about is if the neighbors are going to yell at us, not if this fucking lyric makes any sense. You know? <laughs> I think we just overthink life and we over, once we get, into a cycle of this is our dream and now it's a livelihood and now we don't want to fuck it up that we overthink music and we overthink uh you know ourselves 
it's kind of fucked up. Well, but I've noticed like kind of in some of that process of overthinking music or whatever, I know a lot of musicians start to kind of branch out to other creative things. So I know for you, you know, you mentioned you do this podcast, maybe doing some comedy or whatever. Can, can you tell us about how those things came to be? Well, when I stopped doing Coke, I had a bunch of free time. I was like, <laughs> I was like damn, dog, this is what life feels like when you're not all high on, you know, I, I used to be so burnt out. We'd be on these like 81 shows and 100 day tours and like, I just couldn't wake up and I would just pop ecstasy or snort Coke at 9 a.m. to wake up. And it was just like, my dopamine level was just so fucking down and I was depressed and I was too proud to find a fucking therapist. So I'm like, I'm just going to start a podcast with all and invite all my f- older friends that I've met on the road and basically hear their story to see if they're similar to mine. So I, I don't feel like I'm crazy for living on the road or I'm crazy for suppressing fucking relationship feelings or if I'm crazy for just doing this career. And from, <laughs> from there, you know, four years in, I've had, you know, a hundred and 20 plus conversations with just musicians, comedians and, and actors and yeah, and industry people. And like, we're all going through the same thing. We all have the same type of anxiety. This is why we all are in the entertainment industry. I think, I don't know. It's funny. It's very similar. Like when we stop thinking that we're different and we're all the same, you know, we might have curly hair or fucking mustaches or whatever, play guitar or drums or whatever. <laughs> But deep down, there's a reason why we're trying to live on the road forever, you know, because art is that important to us. And we're going to sacrifice our body, our mind, our relationship, just so we could keep bringing art to a community that, you know, needs it. Can you share a little bit more about what your podcast is? Yeah, it's a mental health. It's called Andy Frasco's World Saving Podcast. I, I interviewed, like last week, we interviewed Tony Hawk. And like we're doing, we're doing like we might get Jack Black and like I do Kamasi Washington. Yeah, it's like it's crazy. Now we're getting huge guests, and and um, I basically try to because I've always wanted to be a therapist, but um, I you know I'm lazy. I don't want to go to fucking school for like ten years, so I'm like <laughs> I'm just gonna fake it and just like pretend I know shit and read a couple books about from Osho, <laughs> just like. <laughs> So tell me, or Freud, like, tell me about your mother, you know, <laughs> or your father. <laughs> and um, the most important thing was just like, it taught me how to fucking listen, you know, like when we're, when we're so stuck with how our, this is the path, this is what I do. When you take a step back from that and um, just start listening to people and having, you know, it's amazing what, what, what could happen when you just listen and just not force the questions that you want, you know, cause and let the conversation go wherever, you know, you're not, you got to realize that you're not the interviewee, I think, right? Interviewee is like when you interview me. <laughs> uh, you're the interviewee. I'm the interviewer in this case. Yeah. So when you're the interviewer, you're not the interviewee. <laughs> it took me like two years to learn that. And then once that happened, once I started listening, then I started listening to other people's advice. Like my managers, like, I'm like, why do I have a manager? I don't fucking listen to his advice. And I'm like, <laughs> Once I start listening to everyone's advice, then I start getting successful. So it's like, we just have to take our ego out and like actually listen to people. And that's why the podcast has made me a better person. So through the conversations I'm having with all these people like George Porter, who from the meters who like 
lost all his money and didn't get any points off all those songs from the meters and like hearing these guys tell their fucking heartbreaking ass stories to make you know to teach you like pay attention because life goes by so fast all of a sudden you'll wake up one day and you're 70 and you um still haven't found yourself so i'm just trying to do this podcast to find myself i guess how long has it been going on four years wow that's a long time to have a podcast. Most podcasts kind of burn out pretty quick. Oh, dude. Yeah. Four years and like just doing it from like, like every time I did a festival, I would just like fill all my fucking time with like interviewing every band, <laughs> you know, just like I'm, I'm ADD as fuck if you didn't realize, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to waste time. You know, it's like, I don't want to just sit and do nothing. Like I'll do that when I stay at my house, but if I'm here to work and I'm here to, you know, create a quote unquote body of art or legacy. I mean, I might as well just get to it and keep working. You know, are you like that too? Are you a workaholic? Uh, I go between workaholic and then being too upset with myself. <laughs> yeah. That fucking organ sunshine, baby. <laughs> <laughs> being like, what am I doing? I'm grinding for no reason and <laughs> no one cares. And then like, yeah, that's a thing. We start believing our own bullshit our, our mind is just trying to tell us to quit and be comfortable but as artists art isn't supposed to be comfortable art is supposed to be you know progressive and no, there's nothing progressive about being comfortable i think what about you yeah i don't know man i don't know how to answer that i'm stewing on that on the next episode of david and andy <laughs> right <laughs> Maybe we need to start a, <laughs> a companion podcast. A collab pod every once a month. David and Andy talks about their depressions. <laughs> right? Well, dude, you live in Colorado. I, You know, it's cold. <laughs> or not today, I guess. Oh, it's nice today. But, you know, Oregon's depressing. Well, that's the thing, too. It's like we forget that how much you need sunshine. You know, I see a lot of sad-ass people in Portland Washington, you know, Iceland. <laughs> well, musicians are just terrible about guarding their mental health just in general. Yeah, 100%. Especially if you live in the Northwest or wherever. Or just like musicians who live in fucking New York City who don't have an outlet and they have to uh, get a job at the, at the, you know, Williamsburg fucking diner with four other musicians who, who gave up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's hard for your ego and it's hard for your heart to like listen to pessimism. And it makes you feel like, oh yeah, I should quit too. That's why you always got to surround yourself with optimism. Right. Well, I think musicians are naturally prone to having mental health troubles. Part of me thinks that the reason why musicians become musicians is music is almost a form of self-medication in and of itself. Like throw out even the, the partying and the drugs and the drinking music itself is like, you know, you kind of enter a flow state and you're kind of, you know, chasing this temporary relief from, you know, your own existential pain, right? Yo, totally. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's like we need to be like comedians are like this too. Like they're so self-deprecating to make the best art, <laughs> you know? I think musicians who like really hit home with me are the ones who are the fucking saddest people like Damien Rice and fucking... John Craigie. They lay out their crap on the table. And that's art. That I mean, art is realism. You know? Art is supposed to be the imagery of your soul. 
And like, we can't just sugarcoat sadness. That's what's happening, you know, with social media. We're showing only the good stuff that, oh yeah, I'm a human and I'm fucking sad too. Or even when you you try to have like the post of like showing your flaws, it's like very sanitized and like cheesy. And it's not just like, you're you're not actually throwing yourself out there. You're kind of like, it's still like a, look at me, I'm exposing my, my myself and my flaws. It's like, hey, I'm sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> no shit, we're artists, we're sad. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. So what's come out of this, this mental health podcast? What, what's been some of the outcomes you've seen? Man, friendship. I finally have friends, you know, like when you were, I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I, I worked so much growing up that I just like shoot people away if it wasn't in my path of my work path. And because of that, I never really built relationships. Like I've, this is the great thing about Denver. I finally have friends. You know, I had friends in LA, but they're kind of like, you know, on the fence and, you know, kind of selfish like me. I mean, you, you attract who you are as a person, you know, they're all chasing the, you know, chasing their tails or whatever, you, you know, chasing the rabbits tail. Yeah. And, um, I moved to Denver and if I have a group of friends, I'm like, fuck, I can't, you know, can't just run away. It's small town. You know, it's like, what am I gonna do? Just keep running, keep finding new relationships and then after two years to move again it's just like are your friends musicians or artists or what yeah yeah a lot of artists i have a lot of people who are like i'm, I'm really fascinated with like venture capitalists so i have like a lot of venture capitalist friends and a lot of people who run like sports teams like sports marketing and a lot of close friends like who like own like stance socks or like skull candy <laughs> i like surrounding myself with these big visions because like it inspires me to keep going. Like, I don't want to stand still. I want to, I have big dreams that I still want to accomplish. And if I surround myself with people who have accomplished big dreams, maybe that'll inspire me to keep going. So like, I've always been into agents. Like my manager gets pissed because I'm always calling my agent. Like, what's up? Tell me, give me the scoop. You know, like I'm a hands-on artist. Like, cause I want to learn. I don't want just someone to do the work. I want to learn about it. So just in case the people who work for you quit or just aren't interested in what you're doing anymore. At least you're learning. So you're not taking two years of a step back. Like you could just, if someone leaves, you could just start from there. Yeah. Well, it seems like a lot of musicians tend to congregate with other musicians. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And then like, I think it's interesting for us as musicians and creatives to have kind of a diverse group of friendships, like maybe being friends with some business people, because, you know, if you're a kind of the artist that doesn't like the business thing or doesn't, you know, come by that naturally being around some of that, having that perspective of, well, you know, oh, there are people who think about this whole industry as a business thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, totally. And then, but like, I started hanging out with like professional athletes like dudes who just like ride the bench and shit and like to see like their motivation, like they'll never start, but they're like amazing workhorses and practicers. And, um, you know, it's like, damn, you made it to the 1% and like just see how they keep going, even if they can't, cause they're in the practice squad or whatever. And there's these dreams, like that shit's inspiring to me. So like, I'm all in, I'm all into that. I'm into the idea of people. I like people who don't 
make excuses to not work. You know, a lot of musicians don't want to do the work, you know. But now as I moved to Denver, you know, all these, all these professional musicians that we, I became friends with, like uh, Green Sky Bluegrass and, you know, Big Gigantic and Nathaniel Rateliff and all these guys and, like, these pro dudes who almost gave up on themselves too and didn't. And look what happened now. They're selling 10,000 tickets a night. And it's just all inspiring to me. And, like, I'm just, you know, always trying to find reasons to keep going. Well, how do you not give up? Like, yeah, I mean, I doubt my every morning. I'm like, I'm quitting. I'm done. I'm tired. You know, I mean, I think I think that's just part of life. Is just like you're gonna have your brain always going to counter whatever your heart says, unless you shut it the fuck up. You know, if you start over listening to the brain versus the soul, then we start quitting and we start fucking getting depressed and we start getting into these mental health issues because like. We forget that when we just listened to our souls, when we were a kid, we were fucking happy. Right when we start having failures and right when we start seeing death, we start thinking our brain should run the game. When we should listen to the brain, maybe it's logical that I shouldn't do meth in fucking Germany. Yeah, okay, that's my brain saying that. It's fine. <laughs> my soul was like, go do it, Andy. Go get that meth. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but... It's, it's a balance of like not listening too much to the chatter that goes on in your head because we will burn out from the chatter. And that's like mostly what happens with the mental health stuff. We start letting our brain control our addictions and control how we think and we start getting sad. Yeah. Hmm. Disagree? No, I agree. I'm just, I'm just thinking about that. It almost reminds me of what is it? I'm forgetting the term, but it's like, it's almost like you need to practice some sort of mindfulness because you have you, but you can also observe your thoughts and your thoughts aren't necessarily the same thing as you. So like, how do you just like see, okay, my brain is kind of, you know, all these thoughts are going to keep flooding in all the self-doubt. <laughs> how do you just like say, oh, look at that. That's separate for me. I don't need to necessarily, you know, latch onto that. Well, do you have a relationship? No. Yeah. Okay. So we, I, from what I hear, <laughs> dude, we were both fucking single, <laughs> single stallions. But like, if we did that, then we'd always just break up with girls, you know, love. I mean, there's a way to not think about that. Or we just, well, maybe I'm fucked because I never had a relationship. So maybe I do think like that. <laughs> but normally, I mean, I look at people's relationships I'm like, damn, y'all picked each other forever. And you guys are cool with that. I mean, there's hope that we could be content, you know, with how we just are and the body that we have and the fucking crazy mind that we have or the overdriven soul that some people have, you know, whatever it is, that whatever genetics you got. Yeah, it's like being comfortable with the craziness that, that each individual person is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As we wrap this up, what advice would you have for, you know, a younger artist who's just trying to get established in the music industry? Fuck what your parents say. Fuck what your friends say. If you live in a small town, don't fall for the idea that you need to have a white picket fence and um, a nine to five. If you believe in that you are destined to live in a um, hollow tin rectangle of emotions aka a van 
then you might as well do it, you know? Because at the end of the day, we're going to remember the things that we regretted doing. So if we just do the things that we are so passionate about, and even if we fail, at least when you're 90 or 80 or fuck me, maybe 50 when I'm on my deathbed, (laughs) I realize that I'm like, at least I tried at every dream I had. You know, we don't want to regret that shit. So don't regret anything. Just go after your dreams. Fuck it. Who cares? You fail, you fail. You write a shitty song, you write a shitty song. People make fun of you because you're cheesy. Fuck them. Just do what you got to do, you know? <laughs> it's your life and they're they're going to die anyway, too. Yeah, we're all going to die. I mean, we might as well, you know, who knows if there's a heaven or a hell either or God. So maybe this is it. We might as well fucking live it to the, the fullest. You know, hopefully there is something after this. But if not, we got to be content with, what we did with our time on this earth, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, dude, thanks for coming on today. Where can people find out more about you or listen to your podcast and, and all that fun stuff? Um, just Google Andy Frasco. You'll find some shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most real answer I've ever gotten. <laughs> That's what people are going to do anyway. They're not going to remember typing HTTPS colon slash slash Instagram.com slash Instagram.com slash Andy Frasco, uh, www.shitshow.nocapshow. No. <laughs> Fuck it. Just go Google. We'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, dude, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Anytime. You know, let's uh, talk about that partnership podcast. You're a good interviewer, man. <laughs> I normally am running the interview on these podcasts. So <laughs> thank you for not letting me fucking do that. <laughs> So that's it for my conversation today with Andy Frasco. Go ahead and Google him real quick before we head out today. Want to invite you to join our Evergreen Records Facebook community. Just go to evergreenrecords.com slash community to sign up for that. Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, would really appreciate you just giving us a quick five-star review. Helps more people find the show. But for now, that's it. We'll see you next time.